0: Well, I am by nature a skeptic, maybe you can't tell by looking at me, but today's my birthday, I've turned 36 today, this is my, I uh trying to find, how do I, how do I segue into my birthday, it's all about me, but it also is my wife's birthday today, she is also not 36 today, but it's, we share the same birthday, July 18th, thank you very much, um, but part of that, being born in that uh, 70s, late 60s region, makes me and makes Perrin a Gen Xer. Some of you might uh, be in that range, and you know what, uh, if you're in that range, you know what is uh, what really makes up a Gen Xer. One of the things is that we are extremely skeptical. We've seen it all. We've been there. We've done that. And we've seen politicians fail, and we've seen... Pastors on TV fail, and so we're skeptical. We have seen a lot of things, and so immediately when somebody tells us, hey, do this one thing, like many of you, we say, really, one thing? I don't know. It sounds a little infomercially. Well, even skeptical, even if it's dear old mom who's telling you what that one thing is. Well, when I was uh, just turned 10 years old, my mom and I decided that we were going to take a trip to the Keys, the Florida Keys, and she said, Adam, it's time, let's go snorkeling, we're going to have a blast, and I thought, yeah, let's go do this, and so we left our home in Daytona Beach to drive to the Keys, and we picked up my cousin and a good friend of hers on the way, she was five years older, and uh, we just headed down to John Pennekamp State Park. It was going to be exciting, I was ready, I had my billabong Uh, board shorts on that uh, that came down to like past my knee, they were called clam diggers, they looked like guy capri pants, just so that you know. So I was ready, it was the height of fashion for a 10 year old and uh, we were ready to get in the water. We got there, we got our snorkel, we got our mask, we got our flippers, I was so excited about the gear. I still love gear, I love things and, and so I was ready for this and we, uh, the, the dive instructors started to give instructions about what was important. Okay, make sure that you do this, make sure you do that, but I was so excited, you gotta understand this was an awesome mask, it was blue and it matched my flippers. And, uh, and I had like a cool-looking vest to go along with it. I mean, it was just, I was just excited. And so it kind of plays out in my mind as I remember this story from, from uh, many years ago that, uh, that it played out a little bit like an ABC after-school special as the dive instructor said, remember this one thing, make sure that you want, want, them to want. And, uh, and I, I remember it like that. And then, and then my cousin's elbowing me, make sure you pay attention, it's just a mask, okay? It's not that big a deal. I'm like, you don't understand, this is a blue mask and it matches my flippers. And she said, well, make sure that you... And, uh, and that's what I remember. And then mom said, as we're getting ready to get off the back of the boat, it's time to get in the water and to see uh, nature up close and personal. She said, make sure that you... And that's all I remember. So I got off the boat and for about... Ten minutes, I am just having a blast. I'm looking under the water. I'm swimming around. About ten minutes later, I look up, and I see some snorkels around, but uh, no, no, no big deal. Stayed with my head down in the water for another 20 minutes, having a blast. And I get ready to tell my mom, who's right next to me, hey, there's a giant barracuda. Watch out for it. It's coming to get us. I look up, and as far as I could see, there was no one. There was no boat. There were no little snorkels sticking out of the water. There were no fins, thankfully, swimming close to me. But nevertheless, I, at 10 years old, was all alone. Can you imagine the fear that was going through my body? I was, even, even though I was a great swimmer, had it all figured out, I knew what I was doing. I was 10 years old, and I had all of the answers to scuba diving even though or snorkeling, even though I've never been before. I had it figured out. I was petrified. And so after a moment of just twitching around, trying to find a snorkel or a boat or something, I see what looks like a boat off to the horizon, and I just start swimming towards it with all my might. Wouldn't you know, I'm swimming directly against the current. So I'm getting more and more tired, more and more tired, to a point where even in my 10-year-old mind, I'm thinking, I guess this is it. This is where I'm going to live with the fish. How about that? You know, I mean, I I guess this is the way it's going to go. And so I'm heading towards this boat as fast as I can, which wasn't very fast. And still, hardly any snorkels around. I finally make it to the boat. Turns out it was our boat. I get in the boat, and I was just exhausted, just totally wiped out, emotional, crying, just thinking, oh, "I can't believe this." And and then after about 15 minutes or so, other swimmers uh, who apparently had been listening to the things that I hadn't been listening to came and start to get on the boat. And they get up, and they're high fiving each other. Wasn't that great the coral reef that we saw? And it was so wonderful. And then sure enough, here comes my mom and my cousin and her friend, and they're high-fiving each other, this is great, oh, and then they see me, hey, where have you been? And my feelings of just sadness turned to rage in that moment as I'm thinking, how could you leave me? I'm all by myself, I'm 10 years old, I don't know what I'm doing, I've got flippers that match, but that's all I know. And, and all of them almost simultaneously said, well, didn't you listen to the captain? Didn't you listen to, to me? I said, stay close to me. I, no, I didn't, obviously didn't listen. You should have told me. We tried to tell you. And so we went back and forth for a minute. And the captain said, well, of course, I could have put a belt around your waist and it would have attached you to, you know, to another diver and it would have been fine. I said, why didn't you tell me that ahead of time? And he said, I did tell you. But apparently your mask and flippers matching were more important. And so in that moment, I I was looking and hoping for the one thing, and I wasn't listening for it. I was listening for what I wanted to do. You know, as I was preparing for for this message today, I couldn't help but think about, in our lives, all of the one things, all of the messages that we're hearing simultaneously, even through Scripture, the one things that seem to, to be the one thing, we have to get this right. And, you know, outside of Scripture, as we look around the world, there are infomercials that tell us if we just do this one thing. Uh, you know, amazing things will happen. We'll be able to leap over tall buildings. Uh, we'll lose 20 pounds overnight just by sleeping. It's amazing. Y- who knows what it, what it is? And we have advice that comes from parents uh, about parenting. And grandparents give us parenting advice. And there's business and financial advice. And all these f- conflicting views at times. People saying, do this one thing. But the skeptic in me continues to, to rise to the top, which says I just don't buy it. And so because there are so many voices, I end up just listening to my own. And often I end up just as lost in the middle of an ocean by myself as I was that day when I was 10 years old. Well, how about you and your faith and your walk with God and your seeking and your desire to understand who God is and how He wants you to live and what is it that He wants you to do? What conflicting voices do you hear? I mean, there's a new book that comes out every week just about, right, about if you do this in 30 days or 40 days, which is the biblical number, if you do this over 40 days, not only will you lose weight, but you'll become closer to God, and it'll lower your handicap in golf. It'll do all of these amazing things if you do this. In fact, if you buy the second edition, you'll get all the one things that I forgot to put in the first edition. And so if you're not a Gen Xer, I'm making you a skeptic now but but chances are you probably already were. When you hear, do this one thing, red flags go off in the back of your mind. What am I really supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be doing? And so yet we continue to search after answers. We continue to look for things. And why do, I mean, why are there infomercials? I'm guessing because people keep buying this stuff. Uh, I was watching one yesterday on Saturday where I was, I was ready to sign up. It was on uh, on real estate. The guy who does the uh, one of the flip your house shows on TV has got this new program. You go to this this conference and you'll learn how to buy houses with no money down, no cash, no credit, nothing. Uh, all you need is a pulse. And I check, I've got a pulse. I can buy real estate then. And I'm I'm just ready to sign up. And then reality started to set in. But we're still we're looking for these answers. I think the the reason for that is this is that. Even though we're all, in some ways, we're skeptical. We're looking for something to help bring order to the chaos of our lives. Because all of us can relate to it one time, one time or another, whether we're close with God or whether we're far from God, feeling like our lives are out of control. And so when we hear someone say to us, do this one thing, and they say it convincingly, oh, maybe this is my ticket, maybe this is... What I need to be doing, maybe this will answer the questions that I've been asking. And despite our polished exterior and mask of having it all together, our souls know, even when we can't describe it, even when we can't put our finger on it, that there has to be something more. There has to be an answer to the chaos. There has to be an answer to this sense of feeling out of control. And so we move from book to book, from upgrade to upgrade. And something inside of us just keeps asking, like the lyrics of the song that Paul sang today, do you think you can find it? Do you think you can find it better than you had it? Because if you're convincing enough, if you present me a good enough argument, I just may buy your one thing. If you sell it right, because my life needs something. But you know, what if there really was one thing? What if there really was a practice, one secret to really and truly unlocking the secret to connecting faith and life? And what if that one thing didn't come from an infomercial, or a relative, or a friend, or even a pastor, but what if it came from Jesus himself? One thing. In the book of Luke, we find two stories. Two stories back to back. And kind of at first glance, it looks like these stories are, are not connected at all. The first is a story that you're probably very familiar with. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, whether you're new to church or you've been around church for a while, you're familiar with the premise of the story. It's not just uh, that we should uh, go and do good things, but it's, it's a matter of that the least of these is our neighbor. And that was the point of Jesus' story. And it, but it started if you back went with a question from a religious person who said, Okay, so Jesus, what does it mean to inherit eternal life? What does it mean to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus says to this religious person who he knew knew the Scriptures, he said, well, what does the Scriptures say? And, and the religious person said, well, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Some translations say, second, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then the religious person sets up this next the whole parable and says, "Well, who is my neighbor?" And so Jesus tells the story. And so if you're reading the story, you're left to think, "Well, what about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Like, where does that come in?" And so at the end of this parable, we meet two sisters, Mary and Martha. No relation to uh, to Jesus, but they were sisters together. They were disciples of Jesus. And they had had something amazing happen to them uh, not too long, not, not much longer than uh, too too much earlier than, than we read this story. About a month pro- before, probably, uh, their brother Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Maybe you remember that story. Jesus came late uh, came late to a party. They've been saying, "Hey, would you please, Jesus, come? Because our brother is dying." And finally, he died, and he was in the tomb. And Jesus says, "Lazarus, come forth." And out of this tomb comes a dead man. And so this party, as we're about to see, was actually in honor of, hey, our brother's not dead anymore. You know, it was, it was a great celebration. And we find that through the book of John, that that's what was happening here. But in the, in the book of Luke, we pick up the story of these two amazing sisters, and we really unlock the key. And if you're skeptical, you should be. But we unlock the key because Jesus gives us the one thing That matters to him most. This is Luke chapter 10. Verse 38. And it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village. Where a woman named Martha. Opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary. Who sat at the Lord's feet. Listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. This party matters. I want to honor you, I want to celebrate the miracle that we just experienced as a family where even though you came late, you showed up in time to raise my brother from the dead and so you are worthy of everything that I have and so I'm going to pull out the the best of everything, the best china, you're going to get my best food, I'm going to cater it from the best restaurant, this is for you and it makes me crazy mad that my sister is just sitting with you watching all this happen what in the world am i supposed to do now before we villainize martha let's sympathize with her for a moment let's put ourselves in her situation I mean think about our lives around here how often do we in and just in the sense and wonderful uh, with with wonderfully good intentions do we even do church here on Sunday mornings? I mean, it takes an amazing team of volunteers to do everything that you see here on a week-in, week-out basis. And, and this doesn't even touch what happens in Promise Land and all the things that are going, that happen week-in and week-out with men's ministry and women's ministry, who cuts the grass and who helps with parking, all of these things. There is so much to do, Jesus. There's so much going on. There's so many amazing things happening. And so oftentimes, you know, what's, there's the, a statistic, uh, you know, that's out there in churches that, you know, the 20% of, of the people are doing 80% of the work. And there's that tendency for that 20%, which I've been a part of at times where I've been like, well, what's, what's up with you people? How come I'm doing all the work? What's with you? Hey, I see you sitting back there every Sunday, coming on in, sneaking on out. What's up with that? And that's the sense that Martha picks up on here. Isn't it about doing? I mean, didn't we just hear a parable, a story about the Good Samaritan? About it's all about doing things? Isn't that what you want, Jesus? You told me to love my neighbor. You told me everyone's my neighbor, even the least of these. Isn't that what it's all about? So I am doing like you asked me to do. But Jesus says, "Ah, oh. oh, Martha, you're so close. And I don't know what your, your previous experience with Jesus is, what, how you know him to be, or, or who you know him to be. But if you know him to be anything other than a compassionate, loving Savior, then I think your image is a little off. In fact, it may be way off. In fact, your expectation may be for Jesus to answer to Martha, that's right, she better go and start serving punch. That's what she needs to do. What I wasn't I I even paying attention. I mean, I know I'm God, but I mean, I, I was. Go, come on, you know, there's 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 ham rolls to make and all kinds of stuff. Maybe not ham rolls, because they couldn't eat ham. Okay, thank you, thank you very much. We'll edit this out. Take. So that's the tendency to think this is what's happening. Oh, well, of course. But no, how does he respond? Watch this. This is so great. In verse 41, he says, Martha, Martha. You can almost hear it. I mean, just even in the repetition of her name, Martha, Martha. Oh, you're so close. But you are worried and upset about many things. Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. You know, if there's one common thread that I could pull through every single person sitting in these chairs today is that we get what it means to be worried and upset about many things, don't we? Whether we've been walking with God for years or whether we've yet to cross the line of faith, we get what it means to be worried and upset about many things. If I'm in middle school or high school, I'm worried and upset about about my grades, about who loves me, about who will be my friend, about who I'm dating or who I should be dating or who maybe I shouldn't be dating. I'm worried about my parents' image of me. I'm worried about doing the right thing and upset about it. As a college student, I'm, I'm concerned about the fact that, that I'm supposed to know what it is that I'm going to do with my life. And people keep asking me, so what's your major? And I give them what's written on a piece of paper. But that means nothing because I can't even spell it. <laughs> and so I picked the most intelligent sounding major. And so that's what I am. But it's not who I am. It's not what I want to do. And so I'm worried and upset. And somehow I managed to graduate. And then maybe... I find that person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And for a moment, everything is great and it's wonderful and it's, it's just beautiful and the sky is just as clear as can be. And then I realize, oh my goodness, I still don't know what I want to do with my life. But now I've got this wonderful person that I'm walking alongside of and he or she doesn't know what she wants to do either. And so here we are just as confused and we're worried and upset about that. And we're going to work 8 to 5 or 9 to 5, and we're doing it over and over. And we, everyone told us, this is what life is all about. This is it right here. But we're worried and upset because we're, we know that there's got to be something more. Flash forward, fast forward or flash forward to your late 30s. So you've got a few kids maybe. You've been in your career for a while, and you're having those same symptoms again. I thought I had it figured out what is supposed to be happening now. And the transitions continue on and on to empty nest, on to senior adulthood. And it's, there are worries and there is something to be upset about. And we get that. It rains in our lives a lot. No one has to convince us. You didn't have to come to church for me to tell you that, did I? But Jesus doesn't leave it there. There. You are worried and upset about many things. But this is what 42 says. You know, and if this was me, if this was just Adam, if this was an infomercial, if this was another book that somebody's pitching, then maybe you should be skeptical. But this is from Jesus, the Son of God, and it's worth listening to, and he says this. But only one thing is needed. Only one thing. Only one thing, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Well, what did she choose? She chose to listen and to sit at the feet of Jesus. But isn't there so much stuff to do and and there's so many things happening and there's so much activity and so many lives need to be reached and so many lives need to be touched? I mean, aren't we supposed to be doing? And yes, there is a tension between the doing and that parable of the Good Samaritan and this sitting at the feet of Jesus. But what we know so often by studying the Hebrew Scriptures, what what we know by studying Hebrew writing is this is that often what follows in a sequence of stories is the most important. You see, I believe this is the answer to what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It means first to sit, to be in his presence. In a word, it's a relationship. It's not a series of doing or, 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 or being. It's, it's just existing in his presence. It's an awareness of him that transcends everything that we are doing right now. and everything that we're doing, we're aware of his presence. And so Jesus leaves us with this one thing. And so really for you, I've got two thoughts on what does the one thing require us to do. The first is it requires me to reorient my time. Now, this is where the, 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 uh, the essence of the 60-60 challenge comes into play. What is the 60-60 challenge? It's quite simply this. And it's written about in the book, Soul Revolution. But it's simply that we are challenged to set an alarm to ring every 60 minutes, once an hour. Maybe you've got a digital watch. You can set your alarm to, charm, or alarm to chime. There we go. Or set your cell phone to send you a message. And if it sends you a message, once that happens, you're not off the hook yet. It's not just, okay, I'm thinking about God. Kumbaya, trying to remember that worship song Troy was singing on Sunday. Okay, and we're back. No, this is what it is. Because the second component is the most important. It's to turn your thoughts back to God. And I'm going to give you three questions that I want you to be asking. First is, what do you want me to say? This is a prayer, an honest prayer to God. God, in this moment, I'm sitting here across the table from someone who I'm about to make a a business deal that's going to change potentially the, the next several years of my life. Or I'm at the dinner table with my family. The watch beep goes off and it reminds me. What should I be thinking right now? Am I present with my kids or am I thinking about what my Blackberry is telling me I have to do in 30 minutes? What is it, God, that you want me to say to the person in front of me? Second, what do you want me to hear or see? You know, what Martha was missing was that Jesus was coming towards the end of his life. And in the, in the story of the book of John, this is the story where Mary actually takes this expensive ointment and, and anoints Jesus' feet even with her hair. And I don't understand that entirely, but I know that she was just absolutely sacrificing herself just to be enveloped in the presence of her Savior. But Martha couldn't be because she was too busy doing. Where are you often too busy doing that you can't slow down enough just to hear what it is that God wants you to hear or see maybe what's right in front of you? Here's the last question. What's your will for me in this situation? God, what should I be be doing? What is it that you want me to do? Who is it that I need to turn to? What decisions do I need to be making now? And that developing over time, when we do this for 60, it's 60 minute increments for the next 60 days, when we do that, the hope and the prayer is this, is that that will develop a, a sense of awareness. Imagine this community if... So many of us began to really take this challenge seriously. Not just a one-thing challenge from a book, but from the mouth of Jesus himself. What is it, God, that you'd want me to do? I want you to turn yourself back to me. Not just a Christian activity or busyness, which there is so much to do, but just back to me. We've got a tool that we've put online. It's a blog. Uh, Some of you like to blog. Some of you have never blogged before. But this is basically just like an online journal. And we'd love for you just go to the website and you can click on, uh, click on the link. And it's really easy to find. And once you do that, just share your experience of what it's been like as you, have, as you navigate through this 60-60 challenge. You're not doing this alone. You're doing this as a collective community. And I cannot wait to see what happens as a result. Not just so that at the end of 60 days we can say, okay, we did it, check. What's the next thing we should do? But out of this, would an awareness of the presence of God become so real that it's closer than the air in our lungs? That's what Jesus was talking about. That's his one thing. Secondly, the one thing requires me to reorient my awareness of his here-ness. To reorient my awareness of his here-ness. Now in this book, Soul Revolution, John Burke tells the story of a a, uh, humanitarian named Frank Laubach who in 40 years taught over 60 million people to read through a literacy program uh, called Each One, Teach One. And in his own pursuit of faith, he took a similar challenge to the 60-60 and he wrote about it. And uh, some of those thoughts are captured here in this book, Soul Revolution. He writes this. After 60 days, Laubach wrote, The experiment is interesting, although I'm not very successful this far. The thought of God slips out of my sight for, I suppose, two-thirds of every day. Yet this thing of keeping in constant touch with God is the most amazing thing I've ever run across. It is working. And as I analyze myself, I find several things happening to me as a result of these two months. This concentration upon God is strenuous, but everything else has ceased to be so. I think more clearly. I forget less frequently. Things which I did before with a strain I now do easily and with no effort whatsoever. I worry about nothing and I lose no sleep. If he is there, the universe is with me. My task is simple and clear. You see, as we reorient our lives around this amazing sense of the fact that God is here with us, that He is Emmanuel, as we sing songs about and read Scripture at Christmas time, that He's here with us, not just that He was here with us, but He is right now. It is going to begin to change the way we move, the way we act, the way we interact with people, the way we live our business lives, the way we interact with our spouses, with our kids. So much is at stake in recognizing just how here he is. Nearly a year later, Lavach wrote, It is difficult to convey to another the joy of having broken into this, the new sea of realizing God's here How I wish, wish, wish that a dozen or more persons would try this and write their experiences so that each would know that the other was finding a result The results I think would astound the world. At least the results of my own efforts are astounding to me. And so when we picked this book, and I believe God led us to it, and we thought about what does what what would really just rattle our congregation, what would really challenge this church, this is it in a nutshell. This challenge is not just about another thing, but it's really about reorienting your life around the presence of God. And so the question is, really, are you willing to give life a shot in that regard? Reorienting your every moment around the one thing that matters most to Jesus. Not just Christmas to Easter, not just Sunday to Sunday, not even just day to day, but moment by moment now that's a soul revolution and as labak and all throughout burke's book and scriptures say that this is not easy it's not something that's a miracle fix it's not something that just happens we do these three things and 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 here all of a sudden life is great it's a challenge in fact he says that two-thirds of his time labak wrote he felt himself far away from god missing the mark but what if you got that much closer what if you got just that much closer? What might that mean to some of the chaos that's in your life right now? Here's the funny thing about a revolution. Any revolution throughout history. You can argue the details of whether the revolution should or shouldn't have happened. Someone at some point was willing to stake their reputation, their principles, their family, their resources, everything they believed in, everything they owned their entire life for the sake of. Of the revolution. And they knew that for the revolution to be successful, something, or more importantly, someone, was going to have to die. Something was going to have to die. It's just a fact. In a revolution. And so today, as we think about you experiencing the presence of God, as I think about me experiencing the presence of God, this concept of, rev- rev- uh, of revolution is so true and it's so real. And so here is our challenge. Very simply What's the one thing in your life right now that needs to die in order to give God the one thing He desires? Above all else, what's that one thing right now that needs to die? Is it your pride? That's a tough one for me. Is it the I've got to have it all figured out before I bring my life to you, God? I mean, really, do you know about my past? (laughs) Do you do you remember, God, who I am? I'm not worthy to to wipe your feet with ointment. I'm the, I need to be working because as long as I stay working and busy, that keeps us somewhat at a distance, but I feel better about my life. Is it an addiction? Is it something that you know right now that is really just driving a wedge between you and God and, and your family is starting to sense it and experience it? Maybe they already do, but this addiction is something that has to die. Maybe it's a relationship relationship. Maybe it's anything that competes for God's attention. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all become Brother Lawrence and we all become monks uh, like in the 17th century or anything of that sort. Our lives are to continue and we see that tension between the parable of the Good Samaritan and the story of Mary and Martha. But if God were to say to you what matters most, he would say, just be with me. Stuff's going to get done. Things are going to happen. Things are going to happen, but just be with me. Life with God, moment by moment. More than anything else, this is the one thing Jesus wants from us. Will you pray with me? Gracious God. Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. And Lord, I, there's so many scriptures that come to mind that describe your character about how amazing and awesome you are. But Lord, there are times where I don't feel worthy enough to sit at your feet. Lord, I pray that through this message today that my friends here and I would be reminded that regardless of who we are, regardless of what we've done in our past regardless of what system of busyness we've created, thinking that that's what's pleasing you, that you still love us. And you compassionately reach out to us and you say, oh, just this one thing, just be with me. And Lord, would we develop that knowledge, that understanding, would that grow as we take this challenge seriously? Lord, would our community, would our city, would our area, would our lives, would our family, would everything that we touch, God, somehow, would it never be the same as a result? Father, this is our desire. God, we want that one thing, and so we ask you, Lord, to convict us, to challenge us, to send us here anew this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.